Thank you for downloading this sermon from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website at www.trinityspartanburg.com. I want to talk to you tonight on the topic of forgiveness. And I want to ground it as all good theology should be grounded in a doctrine of God. In Psalm 86.5, you can, you can open up there. It says, a, I think it's an, a remarkable thing about, about God. It says this, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive. and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. And so it was that phrase there, for you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive. God is the kind of God who is ready. Um, he's on the edge of his chair, so to speak, in readiness to forgive. Okay? Now, what does that mean? I mean, what does it mean? What is he ready to forgive? Well, the, the answer to that is sin. Because all sin is what? All sin is ultimately against God himself. Right? So you know what, what King David testified in his penitential psalm, Psalm 51. What did, he, what did he say? Against you and you alone have I sinned. Right? And so... Yes, sins affect others, and we do sin against other people, and yet every sin is an offense against God because it is breaking his law. It is doing as uh, doing or not doing what he's required. And yet here, here he is described as a God who's ready to forgive. Now, this is not just a one-time occurrence in Scripture, is it? I mean, when we get statements about God, it often comes around to this, this characteristic, this attribute of God. Nehemiah 9, 16 and 17. Look at this. I mean, it's, ta- it's going, Nehemiah's rehearsing the history of Israel. He's confessing the sins of his fathers, right? He says, but they, our fathers, acted arrogantly. They became stubborn and would not listen to your commands. They refused to listen. And did not remember your wondrous deeds which you had performed among them. So they became stubborn and appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. But, what does it say next? You are a God of forgiveness. Gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. And you did not forsake them. That was a wicked generation that it's describing, right? They died in the wilderness, all of them, because they sinned against God and were judged. And yet, here it is, it's described, God on the heels of that is described as a God of forgiveness, and he did not forsake them. Now, um, so God is ready to forgive. He is a forgiving God. He, it says here, you are a God of forgiveness. That is part of what uh, of who God is, right? 
The context is one of sin. Sins against him. He is ready to forgive. Now, God is not only ready to forgive, though, what is also his orientation towards sin? I started with the good part. I'm contrasting it with the... He hates it. Right? He hates it. He is a punisher of those who break his laws. He punishes those who break his laws. He punishes sinners. So he's ready to forgive. He's also a punisher of sinners. Now, this is... uh, this is brought together in Numbers fourteen eighteen. The Lord is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means, what? Clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation. So the Lord is slow to anger. He's abundant in loving kindness forgives iniquity and transgression, but he will not clear the guilty. So what gives? He's ready to forgive. He won't clear the guilty. Well, for this reason, it has to be brought together in some manner. Now, how is the, how is the mercy and justice of God brought together? How is God able to be fully merciful, fully just? Sunday school answer. What specifically? Jesus took the penalty. Okay? Right? He punishes all sins, so he is just. He justifies his people, so he's what? He's the justifier. Where does that come together? Well, we, could, we go to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, right? Is that where it comes together? Is that where Paul talks about it? The Holy Spirit inspired these words. 3.21, But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed as a what? And what does that mean? He was a propitiation. He was a wrath object. Right? He was a wrath bearer. He was the thing that absorbed, in a sense, the wrath of God. Right, so the wrath of God is poured out, it says, on whom? Whom God displayed, it's talking about Jesus here, Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood through faith. This was to demonstrate his righteousness because in the forbearance of God he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just He punishes sin. And the justifier, he's ready to forgive. Right? And so there, these two seemingly incompatible things come together. 
in Jesus bearing the wrath of God on the cross. So Jesus is not just some dude who had, who had a bad end to his life. Right? He is the Son of God incarnate who his father got really angry at and punished for sins. Right? And so in Jesus, these two things that are incompatible, God is a God of forgiveness, God is just, are possible. It requires the Son of God. It requires the second person of the Trinity. Now, think about this. The forgiveness of God cost the Father what? The forgiveness of God, and this is what I want to start moving toward an application of this, okay, this, this wonderful concept, the very heart of the Christian faith, right? God is just and the justifier. That happens on the cross on Jesus, in Jesus' death, right? His propitiation. But think about this. The forgiveness of God cost the death of his son. The forgiveness of God cost that separation on the cross where Jesus cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Right? So the forgiveness of God cost the Father the separation, punishment, and death of his Son. Separation, punishment, and death. God was actively engaged in hating every fiber of his Son's being when he was on the cross as the curse. God had eternally showered his son with what? Affection. Now on the cross, he's pouring out every ounce of his wrath and Jesus is drinking the cup of his wrath right down to the dregs. Right? So the forgiveness of God costs the Father... His son's separation, punishment, and death. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, he, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Right? So he became sin on our behalf. Jesus becomes our sin. Our sin is imputed to him. And, and I'm just being abstract right now, or like, like the sins you've committed, those actual sins that you've committed. We could make a list of them, put them on a whiteboard. All of us could contribute to it, right? And it'd be nasty. It'd be nasty stuff up there. It'd be stuff that we'd be so embarrassed to admit. And that's what Jesus became. And, and God was angry at him, and, and he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is the propitiation of God happening. But then he also says this, and this is really important. What, is, what does Jesus say after that? He says, It is finished. Right? The Father is at that point, what? He's satisfied. He has been perfectly just. He has by no means cleared the guilty. Sin has been punished in the Son. Father is satisfied and now he's ready to forgive only because of what? 
Because of what his son has done. Because his son's work was perfect. Because his son's love for sinners was infinitely deep. And God's wrath was infinitely just and poured out upon him. And so love and mercy, you know, kiss at that point. We could go to Philippians 3 and think about how Jesus humbled himself. Humbled himself even to the point of death, death on a cross. Right? We could go to Revelation 3 or 5, 12, this song of praise. The song of praise. Worthy is the lamb that was slain, killed, ripped by the justice of God Almighty. To receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And so Jesus was on the cross the unblemished sacrifice for the forgiveness of sins. He was a perfect sacrifice. He was just the only kind of sacrifice that could bring together those two strands. Just justifier. Not clearing the guilty and being ready to forgive. He was the only thing. The only one who could bring that together. And then think about this. I'm trying to get you to think about how great and awesome is our triune God. And how merciful he is to us in forgiving our sins. Think about this. This, what happened there on the cross was an eternal plan. An eternal plan promised by a God who does not lie. Hebrews 13.20 says, Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant. Even Jesus our Lord equip you. And it goes on from there. And so this, here's Jesus by an eternal covenant knowing that, that it is by his blood and that blood being shed and then the, the, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit raising him out of death. That, I mean, and so, I mean, you think, about, you think about the magnitude of God's forgiveness. Not only does it require the perfect, unblemished, sacrificial lamb, who is God himself incarnate, but it's by an eternal plan that God laid out before the worlds were. Okay, and so... so do you begin to understand how God can be described as a God of forgiveness and a God who is ready to forgive? Do you begin to understand just the magnitude of, of His affection for you? But, but, but do you begin to understand um, the absolute agony of Jesus as well in becoming the curse, becoming sin? And actually living out this, this eternal covenant and promise. So God is ready to forgive. He's merciful by nature and because of the eternal covenant that he made with his son. Who propitiated, fully satisfied his wrath towards sin. Sin in which he had never sinned. Right? He lived perfectly. He had never sinned and he becomes sin. And... And now God is, is, is willing to forgive you by that plan. 
Like for real. Like to forgive all those sins we put up on that list. Eternal God, eternal promises, a perfect sacrifice, who is God himself, perfect wrath poured out on the perfect Son, the perfect blood shed for the forgiveness of sins, and it is, it is all yours by faith in that Son, very simply. Remember what Jesus prayed in John 17. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. He did it. Jesus became every wicked thought, every wicked action you have or will ever commit. And yet the Father whose love is jealous, whose love for that Son is eternal, forgives you by His Son's work. And not, not only this, I mean, it's stupendous how the way that, that Scripture speaks about the forgiveness of sins. It, it, it's so... It's so marvelous, this idea that through eternal covenant, perfect sacrifice, perfect power, perfect wrath, mercy and justice kissing, all these things. It's so stupendous that it says things like this. Your sins are so forgiven, they're forgotten. Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-four. I mean, we, we don't even know what that means. God is om, omniscient. He knows all things. He he does not forget things. But you're so forgiven. It, it, it speaks to the magnitude of the forgiveness, right? It speaks to the magnitude of the sacrifice. It speaks to the magnitude of what happened on in Christ's death, right? That it, that it can be described as God forgetting your sins. And so knowing this, knowing all of this about the forgiveness of sins that has been wrought in Jesus Christ, the magnitude, the perfection, the eternity of the forgiveness of God in Christ leads to several things. It should lead to these things. One, Psalm 130 verse 4. I mean, and just think of this psalm. It's a radical psalm. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. I mean, who's speaking? Sounds like Jesus in agony. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. An appropriate response to the forgiveness of God is the fear of God. And why is that? Why is fear an appropriate response to the forgiveness of God? Well, think about the magnitude of what I just described. An eternal covenant, the perfect Lamb of God, Jesus, the Son of God, second person incarnate, humbling himself, God pouring out his wrath, God suffering through the, the separation, the punishment, and the death of his own son. And that's what brings forgiveness. And you would think that the response would be one of fear. Right? Look at what God has done. Look, I mean, if we, if we begin to think just one ounce of what God has done, then it's kind of like, 
whoa. What has God done? How can I take something so lightly? How could I be so nonchalant about the forgiveness of God? And so I think that's what's wrapped up in this verse. There's forgiveness with you, but it's also that forgiveness is God's to give. Right? It is his to, to dole out. It is he who gives the gift of faith. Right? And so there's a sense in which if it is his and he determines it, well, then, then, there's a, then in a sense we should approach it with fearfulness. Okay, now here's another. So that's one of the responses. Knowing the magnitude of the forgiveness of sins in Christ, we should fear God. Second, we should forgive others. We should operate in this mode. If God has forgiven me, all of my sins, I should be able to forgive others. For there are few sins against me. Right? How many verses come back to this? Um, they are challenging to all of us. Is this easy? Is it easy to forgive others? Absolutely not. But, but think of this. Matthew 6, verse 14. For if you for, and It's in the Lord's Prayer, right? Forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And then at the end of this section, 14, for if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. In Matthew 18, verse 21, then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Mark 11. Mark eleven twenty five. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive your transgressions. But if you do not forgive... Neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. And then Luke 11.4. Forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. I think it would be good to pray the Luke version of the Lord's Prayer at times. Because it, it's challenging. It says, for we have forgiven. We also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So, is this easy for us? Obviously not. We're sinners. We, we sin against one another constantly. It's very difficult. Was it easy for God to forgive your sins? I mean, think of that. Was it easy for God to to? Forgive your sins. Think of the magnitude of the depths to which Jesus went to forgive you, to win the forgiveness of his Father, the condescension of the eternal Son of God to come down and have a runny nose, right, so that you might be forgiven. His humiliation, his pain, his humiliation on the cross, hanging naked on a cross, becoming sin, a curse for sin. 
Right? Think of the perfections of Jesus that he and the Father had enjoyed for, forever. Think of the eternal covenant for you. Can you begin to forgive others who have sinned against you? Even dear brothers and sisters. Even those who have sinned against you in terrible ways. Right? Now is where I need to, need to bring up a whole, a whole ton of other You know, crimes need to be punished. If somebody's sinned against you and it's a crime, they need to be taken to the civil authorities and those things. I'm I'm not saying, I'm not being monolithic about this and saying that if somebody's sinned against you, the only thing you should do is forgive them. Sometimes it requires much more. Okay, but nonetheless, forgiveness is required and is a part of this. There's corruption that comes with being sinned against. Okay, And, and that... That takes counseling to fight, and it takes... I, so, you hear what I'm saying. Okay, but there's dealing with sinful patterns that come. Again, you know, uh, the sins of the fathers are visited on the children to the third and fourth generations, and those things are hard to root out, okay? But what I'm saying is, you know, just, just think of an unkind word. Even that's hard for us to forgive, I can understand how an unbeliever would be unable to forgive others, right? I don't know anything about this great transaction that took place between the father and the son. I can understand how an unbeliever would be unable to forgive others, but I cannot understand how the forgiven Christian could refuse to forgive those who have sinned against them. Now, I feel every fiber of my pride rise up against that. But thinking about it right now, I can't... I mean, it's, it's crazy for us not to be able to forgive when we've been forgiven through this amazing, amazing, glorious thing called Jesus' death. You know, I understand and feel no deeply my own pride which militates against me offering forgiveness to others but i know many who claim the name of christ who will not who will not forgive others jesus christ the lamb of god died according to an eternal covenant of the almighty god who cannot lie and it required the son to die and bleed and be humiliated on the cross separated from the father and we can't forgive someone for for telling a joke That offended us. Oh, I know that feeling. Ephesians four thirty one to thirty two. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. This is the Christian faith. Second Corinthians one three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, 
And God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. <laughs> affliction is sin, right? Comfort is the forgiveness of sin. So that, you know, this may not directly be addressing forgiveness, but I can't help but apply this to that. God has given you all comfort in Jesus Christ, and we can't offer the same comfort to others. Forgiving others, we are being Christ to others. It may be one of the most powerful ways for us to witness to the truth of the Christian faith. Jesus was working our forgiveness, and in us offering forgiveness to others, Maybe the mo- it'll be better than any, any sermon I'll give if I could actually genuinely forgive somebody. The third thing that, that understanding God being ready to forgive and the, the eternal covenant in the Son is that we should rest in our forgiveness. Resting in our forgiveness. Resting in this. Doubting, think about this. Doubting our own forgiveness is at the end of the day, doubting the excellence and perfection of Christ's person and work. Doubting our own forgiveness is doubting the perfection of that work that the Father and the Son accomplished together. You know, is it, is, it, uh, is it half forgiveness? Is it forgiveness that we need to add something to? Or was it the full propitiation and satisfaction of the Father? And so if we doubt our own forgiveness, at the end of the day, we're doubting that, the excellence of that sacrifice. And if that's true, if that's your regular process, what becomes, what, what then becomes your... Well, it leads, it leads to performance as assurance, right? It leads to performance as assurance. It leads to, I'm doing pretty well today as your assurance of God's forgiveness. I haven't looked at this. I haven't said this. I haven't committed any sins of omission. I'm doing pretty well. I feel forgiven, right? Everything becomes subjective at that point, You determine that the forgiveness of God is yours only insofar as you perform rather than based upon the eternal covenant of God in Jesus Christ, understanding who God is and what he has done. Okay, and if if it's regular for you to determine your assurance by your performance, the potential is there for you to become very hard-hearted and unforgiving toward others because you begin judging people based upon their performance rather than upon the eternal covenant of God in Jesus Christ where, the, the, their, where every sin of his people was atoned for perfectly. If you are unsure or insecure or bitter or unforgiving not understanding the radical nature of the forgiveness of sin in Christ may be at the root of that. I mean, the last thing, the last thing that John 
or not the last thing, it's in the middle of John's letter to, to his dear church. He says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you. I mean, that's so sweet, isn't it? He says, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you. Why? For his name's sake. Right? Which is another way of saying, for his glory. His glory. It's not even about you. Your sins have been forgiven because God wants to glorify His Son and the Son wants to glorify the Father and this is the way of of blowing that throughout the whole universe. He worked forgiveness in His people. For His name's sake. Praise God. Amen. Can we forgive others? Can we work on that? Let's pray. Father, we praise you. We thank you for Jesus. Lord, this, it is mind-boggling to think of the extent to which you had us in mind and we are insignificant dust. And yet, we're the apple of your eye. Lord, we are, are, you've made us a little lower than yourself. And Lord, you've dignified us immensely in the resurrection, the bodily resurrection of your Son. And he, he is ever to your right hand as the God-man. And Father, I pray that, that understanding the radical, the, the glorious, the eternal plan for the forgiveness of your people, Father, would, would fill us with, would begin to soften our hearts. Oh Lord, soften my heart, soften our hearts, that we might offer what we truly have in Jesus. Lord, I pray this in his name. Amen.